and let us bow our heads in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the reminder that our identity is in you and not in our feelings. And we pray, Lord, that our character would be written upon the sand, would not be written upon the sand, but inscribed upon the rock, on the rock that is the unshaken foundation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we know that it is your will that we be sanctified so that we may be presented to you without spot or wrinkle. Help us to take comfort in those rough winds of trial that are your discipline upon your beloved children. Guard our hearts, guard our thoughts, guard our words, lest we fall. Keep us humble, Lord, and dependent on you, for you are our steadfast hope and salvation. Amen. As Christians, we are called to pursue the formation of our Christian character. The pursuit is an aspect of our Christian living. As Christ redeems pe redeemed people, we are to be conformed into his image, and in so doing, display God's glory in the church. And this includes the pursuit of things like truth, godliness, righteousness, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, perseverance, meekness, humility, self-control, compassion, thankfulness, forgiveness, contentment, and unity. Now, that's a great big long list of things that we could talk about, but over the coming months, we're going to focus on just seven. And last winter, the men studied the seven deadly sins. Um, and while they're not directly mentioned in the Bible, uh, those Maleficent Seven have parallels within the seven things that God is said to hate in the book of Proverbs. They're behaviors or habits that are classified under this category if they give rise to other immoralities. And therefore, they are considered roots that give rise to actions. And according to the standard list, the Maleficent Seven are pride, greed, wrath, envy, gluttony, and sloth. And these are often considered to be abuses or excesses of one's natural faculties or passions. So for example, greed abuses one's desire to have your basic needs provided for and met. So the seven virtues um, that are the opposite of the seven deadly sins that we're gonna be looking at are chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, kindness, and humility. And we're calling this series Cultivating Character, Seven Virtues to Nurture. And we're gonna focus on one of them each time. Now something is considered a virtue if it is cultivated into a habit and becomes a morally excellent character trait. That is, as we become more conformed to the image of Christ, 
we experience an increased capacity to delight in what God has made good, true, and beautiful. And we see this in 2 Peter 1 verse 5. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go further, we must say that it is God who produces Christian character in the lives of believers. It is by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. As we strive, he works in and through us. Conversely, something is considered a vice if it is cultivated into a habit that becomes a morally corrupt character trait. And we become conformed to the pattern of this fallen world and experience decreased capacity to delight in what God has made good, true, and beautiful. We see examples in Galatians 5, verses 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, and that is make a practice of doing, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to start with the virtue of diligence. And the Old Testament gives several commands and exhortations for us to pursue this virtue of diligence. Here's some examples. From Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Psalm 119.4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Deuteronomy 6.7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In Proverbs 8.17. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Notice that all of these are about diligence in keeping our souls, in keeping the Lord's commands so that we would not sin against him, in confirming our calling and election to teach our children and to seek the Lord. These are all spiritual pursuits we are to diligently focus on. 
Therefore, the call for diligence is not a broad category to work hard, but a specific spiritual exhortation to be diligent in our pursuit and prioritization of the spiritual disciplines in our lives for the purpose to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul spends most of the chapter outlining how he has laid down his rights and become weak for the sake of the gospel in order to reach more people with the good news. He concludes with an example of the athletes in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is reminding himself and the Corinthians that there is a reward at the end, this imperishable gift for those who are diligent. And that all that he has endured will be worth it. But there is also a warning here, a need for discipline. And that is to spur us on and motivate us. I personally find that when I go to the gym and I also tend to watch what I'm eating and I, in general, make healthier choices, excluding the excellent donut this morning. <laughs> but when I let one of those things slide, it's like a domino effect in my life where if you've already slid once that week, well, you can let it slide the next time and the next time. And things quickly fall off the radar. Diligence is about keeping the main thing, the main thing in our lives and not letting the Lord fall off the radar in our lives. Remembering that a virtue means that we are cultivating godliness. That is having an increased capacity to delight in God and his gifts. David Brainerd once gave advice to a young candidate for the ministry about guarding his holy character. Quote, the way to enjoy the divine presence and be fitted for distinguished service to God is to live a life of great devotion and constant self-dedication to him, observing the motives and dispositions of our own hearts, whence we may learn the corruptions that lodge there and our constant need of help from God for the performance of the least duty. And oh, dear sir, let me beseech you frequently to attend to the precious duties of fasting and prayer, end quote. It's that constant self-dedication to him that we don't just do it once at the beginning of our Christian walk, but this rededication over and over throughout our lives.
the flip side of the coin is sloth. And in his book, Communion and Communion, Communion and Union, Union, oh, the book, Communion and Union, Hudson Taylor gives some warnings. The first is against worldliness that draws us away from the Lord. And the second is against sloth a self-satisfaction with the present that leads to indifference to God. He warns that sloth is more dangerous because it is harder to spot. Let me give you an example. It's post-pandemic. Things have opened up. There's more activities happening. And at first, when you're invited to go out, you say yes, because you're happy to have the fellowship and you want to encourage others. And then there gets to be many, many things, all the things. And you realize you cannot be in two places at once. And so you have to choose. Weeks turn into months. And yes, you're still attending church on Sundays and you're still active at events. But how long has it been since you diligently sought the Lord in private reading of his word in prayer, and in refreshing your soul in him. Was it worldliness that drew that person away? Not necessarily. Was it sloth? Sloth can look quite busy with all the many distractions that we have in our modern world. And we need to be diligent to seek the Lord, to prioritize him privately, not just publicly. John Bloom from Desiring God says, at the deeper level, laziness or sloth robs us of happiness by decreasing our capacity to enjoy the deepest delights. And on top of this, it leaves us failing to love as we ought. Our private devotions provide fuel for our public interactions. And when our public interactions grow cold, we must go back and examine our private devotions. When scripture commands us to be all the more diligent in 2 Peter, God is calling us to work hard towards the right goal, that is growing in godliness, in the right way or means, in the ways that God has commanded, for the right motive or reason, And that is to love, to love God and to love our neighbors. The more this kind of diligence becomes characteristic of us, the more we become like Jesus and we increasingly delight in what gives him delight and increasingly love what he loves, which is true virtue. Some of us have chosen a doctrinally sound church because we want to grow in maturity. Absolutely. But it can also be because it's easy to be spoon-fed in a doctrinally sound church. And it can make us lazy where there's an expectation of someone else to provide the answer. A Bible study leader or someone more mature in their faith. And we can become like baby birds with our mouths wide open, just waiting for someone, anyone, to feed us. 
But my question this morning is, do you have an interest and a desire to feed yourself? To grow, to be diligent in seeking God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you diligent in growing in the love and knowledge of our creator and savior? Or is it something that you eventually get around to? Hebrews 5.11 says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It takes diligence to graduate from the milk for babes to the solid food of the mature. And I want to point out that both milk and solid food are both the good news of the gospel. And that is that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. The content is not different. The difference in the mature is in the living out of their faith every day. Having the power of discernment trained by God's word in distinguishing good from evil. The mature call good, good, and evil, evil, in accordance to God's word and not in accordance to the culture of the day. The mature are those living out the implications of the gospel in their daily lives. Their position and practice are aligned, and that's what Sancha was so beautifully sharing with us. That position as our identity being in Christ, and our everyday walk, our practice that we live it out, reflecting that, and in so doing, glorifying God. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The mature, with discernment, are being transformed in their minds. We must know him. We must be women of the word, loving the Lord, not just with our hands and service, and yes, those things are good, but also with our minds and to gain that knowledge and implement it in our lives so that we may be diligent in learning his will, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Scott Hubbard points out, holiness cannot be found apart from the spirit's means of grace. Therefore, we must be diligent in the use of them. Holiness cannot be found in the means of grace themselves, Therefore, we must be desperate for the Spirit to work through them. So what are the regular means of grace? I'm going to touch very briefly on just three, 
but I highly recommend the book, Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. If you haven't read it yet, these ladies over here are going to find out a way for one of you to get a copy (laughs) Um, because it's definitely worth the read. But first, we're going to talk about meditating on God's word. A Christian does not read the Bible merely when she gets around to it. Instead, the aim is to meditate on it day and night, thinking over the word and attending to the word, storing it up in our minds. And as Sanchez shared, asking ourselves questions. Do we really believe what it says? Or is it just information and knowledge out there for someone else? Charles Spurgeon points to Ruth as an example of one who was diligent in the little things that accumulated into much. And he said, As she went out to gather the ears of grain, so must I go forth into the fields of prayer, meditation, and the ordinances, and hearing the word to gather spiritual food. The gleaner gathers her portion ear by ear, her gains are little by little. So must I be content to search for single truths, if there be no greater plenty of them. Every ear helps to make a bundle, and every gospel lesson assists in making us wise unto salvation. First, I want you to notice that we gather little by little. Sometimes it doesn't feel like much, but at other times it can feel like a flood. But those little by little accumulations are like compound interest in the bank on your investments. They grow over time when you're consistently adding to them. And Spurgeon goes on, I must be watchful in religious exercises, lest they become unprofitable to me. I hear, but I have lost much already. Oh, that I might rightly estimate my opportunities and clean with greater diligence. High spirits criticize and object, but lowly minds glean and receive benefit. A humble heart is a great help towards profitably hearing the gospel. How often do I forget what I hear? The second truth pushes the first out of my mind. And so my reading and hearing end in much ado about nothing. Do I feel duly the importance of storing up the truth? End quote. We need to be watchful because we can become so used to going through the motions that we come, we sit, we listen. And if someone asked you an hour from now what you heard this morning, you wouldn't know what to say. Do those truths just flow through our minds like water? instead of being stored up into this reservoir. There is a danger and we need to wake up and pay attention to ensure that we are hearing and retaining what we have heard, that we store up God's word in our minds, but also in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind when we are tempted. The author of Psalm 119 is an excellent example of diligence and meditating on God's word. 
In fact, he spends 176 verses praising God's law, his precepts, his statutes, his commandments, his rules. And he systematically goes through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But in verse 11, right near the beginning, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We cannot avoid sin if we don't know what sin is. We need to study his word that we may know it. The second spiritual discipline is prayer. And sometimes we can act as if it's all up to us. But prayer is powerful. The Lord forms us and molds us through prayer. And it is part of our sanctification. We can think about the parable of the woman who persevered in prayer. And therefore, her request was granted. And I would really encourage you to pray about the little things the things that we frequently don't take to the Lord. But when we see the Lord answer these little things and we see his care for every hair on our head, it grows our faith to see him at work in our daily lives. It encourages us not to give up on the big prayers, to persevere in prayer knowing that he is living and active in our daily lives and seeing him at work in the little things that can be so encouraging. Back in Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is a prayer of dependence, recognizing our need for spiritual illumination to understand what the word says. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Do we pray to have a teachable spirit like the Bereans to seek truth in God's word? Do we pray for him to teach us? Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Are we praying that the Lord would guard our hearts, guard our minds against temptations? And verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Do we pray for godliness? It doesn't just happen takes intentional effort on our part. Prayers can be incredibly varied from lament about the wickedness in this age and sacrifices of praise to the wonder and awe of God's character and his work on the cross. Many of us would say that we genuinely desire to have a more robust prayer life. I know I do. And digging into the variety of prayers that we see in scripture can help us to be diligent during the ups and downs of life, recognizing our constant need and dependence upon the Lord as we grow. 
the third spiritual discipline I want to touch on is worship. In Psalm 119 again, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. Diligence in our Christian life is designed to lead to worship. It's the natural overflow of a full heart. We do not simply gather with the church when our schedule allows, but we are exhorted to not neglect the gathering together, as is the habit of some. And as we gather on Sundays for corporate worship, and we sing and sit under teaching of the word together, it is an encouragement to persevere in the faith. It is the reminder that there are others who believe God's word and the supernatural things recorded there. That there are others living in faithfulness and praising his name. And as we hear others sing, it is affirmation that we are in this together as a body of believers. We live in a culture that idolizes busyness. And we need to ask ourselves, are we diligent in prioritizing the Sunday service? Do we diligently put fellowship with the saints into our schedules? I want to close by asking the question of, are there ways that diligence can be twisted? And yes, diligence is important for the sake of doing high quality work, which is beneficial in many ways. But hard work by itself does not equal the virtue of diligence. Tony Ranke points out, workaholism is slothful because it labors in a self-centered way to focus on personal achievement or accumulated accolades. This is diligence wrongly focused on achievement and performance rather than on cultivating character unto the Lord. It is focused on puffing up in pride rather than being conformed to Christ. And we need to remember that quote from Scott Hubbard, that holiness cannot be found apart from the Spirit's means of grace. Therefore, we must be diligent in the use of them. But holiness cannot be found in the graces themselves. Therefore, we must be desperate for the spirit to work through them. Diligence is only fruitful by the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the spirit, it can lead to us being puffed up in pride and arrogance. Diligence can also be used as a cover for legalism. And that is going through the religious motions but our hearts are far from the Lord. On the outside, things may look very similar, but over time, the heart is exposed. So let's go back to those quotes from the very beginning that I mentioned earlier from the Old Testament, those exhortations on diligence. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and it shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. As we are conformed to the image of Christ, one preacher observed that Christ-like shape manifests itself differently in each person. Like a bonsai tree or the bottle trees that I saw in Paraguay in June. They're all hollow trees that balloon out so that they can store water during the dry season. And they come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Some are pear-shaped, some are triangular or diamond-shaped. Um, they're all different and unique. And John Owen reminds us, you measure growth and holiness not by height or duration, but in distance traveled and obstacles overcome. And all of our walks in diligence may look different in how they're being walked out as we have different commitments in our life and we are different stages of life, but there are going to be similarities as we all are imaging forth our Lord and Savior. So as we close, I wanna challenge you. We're in September and are making that transition from the summertime where there may have been fewer schedules, fun in the sun, to a more scheduled and dedicated fall. And I would challenge you to how are you including the Lord in that schedule? How are you being diligent in that for this season? So there are questions on your table um, I know we're running close on time, but you can spend some time discussing at your tables, and I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, let us not be like those who draw near to you with their mouths and honor you with their lips, but their hearts are far from you. Let us be like the meek who obtain fresh joy in you, who stand in awe of our Lord and Savior, that we would be humble and teachable. In your name we pray, amen.